Thing does that? I feel like Phil Donahue now. Okay. Well, <clears throat> next Sunday is the the change in our schedule. Uh, at nine o'clock, um, mask required will be the service. At eleven o'clock will be mask optional. So that begins next Sunday. Next Sunday, by the way, also is a uh, communion service. But we do need you. Um, I mean, you've all been good, but just continue right now to continue to call in or email in that you'll be here so we can get a pretty accurate picture of who we're going to have in each service. Uh, ladies, note in your bulletin there's an announcement about a conference next month that will be in the sanctuary, also live-streamed. It evidently is for those who are becoming unhinged. It's for it's a hinge conference. Get you back I get to, together. And then let me note also Monday. If you're on Facebook, you should be getting a quiz uh, from us, and not just go straight to the church um, Facebook page. Uh, Megan is uh, making a quiz each week off of the sermon. You'll be pleased to know that last week I did get a hundred off of the um, off of the quiz, and we'll see if you can can match me this week. And we want to welcome this morning who will be singing for us, uh, Lucy McGee, um, who Barbara uh, Pomeroli proudly claims as a granddaughter. She'll be giving the special music this morning. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship.
call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2. I love you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Father, we thank you this morning that we can look to you as our high tower. You are the one that is high and lifted up, and yet you have come near. We thank you that you are here with us this morning. You promise your presence to us, and we claim that this morning in faith. We thank you that you are committed to make us more like your son Jesus. We ask that we would bring honor and glory to him in all that we would think, say, and do this morning. We pray in his powerful name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship in song. To God be the glory. Verses 1 and 2. Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.
Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father, we do give you praise that you are the one who dwells in heaven. And we give you praise for your Son, Jesus Christ, who did not hold on to equality with you as something to be grasped, but left that home in heaven. Uh, took on our very flesh, and in that flesh made atonement for our sins. He redeemed us. He ransomed us. He bought us back. We thank you that by his blood he has purified us, that he has consecrated us. We give you praise for that wondrous working power of the blood of the Lamb, so that we may come here and worship you and know you as our Father. We give you thanks for your Holy Spirit whom he has sent. That Spirit who has awakened us, has given us faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has convicted us of our sins so that we might turn to Christ alone for salvation. And we pray now that as your children that we will hallow your name. We will honor it. We will honor it this morning in our worship. We will also honor his name in our homes in our workplaces, in our schools, our neighborhoods, wherever you have placed us. We pray, our Father, for your kingdom to come. We pray for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ as our glorious King. And meanwhile, may we be found faithful in the service to our King and for your kingdom here. We pray for this church to be faithful in the service of your kingdom. We continue to lift before you our search committee and pray for wisdom and and guidance for them as they seek to know your will for who is to be the the shepherd of this flock. We pray, our Father, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that you would give to us today our daily bread, that you would feed us with your word and through the proclamation of your word that you would feed us, uh, nourish our bodies uh, with the food that we need, with the uh, medical care that we need, that you will provide for our emotional needs, our spiritual needs. We lift before you our president, and we pray for his healing as we pray for the healing of his wife and for our other officials and workers in the government uh, who have the COVID. We pray for your watch and your protection over them. We do pray for an end to this pandemic and lift up those who are laboring hours upon hours for a vaccine and pray for that to be successful. Pray, our Father, for the forgiveness of our debts, that all the more that we we look to you and to the, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that washes over us, that covers us, that cleanses us from our sins. May we have that same spirit, that same mercy to be those who forgive those who, uh, who have offended us, who are indebtors in some way to us. Lead us not into temptation. We pray that you would deliver us from the evil one, that you would uh, deliver us from the, 
the lures and the fears of this world, protect us from our own weak flesh. We make this prayer acknowledging that to you is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Christ's name, amen. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubt and fear. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Well, Lucy, thank you for this song. You picked a very appropriate one uh, in this time. It's a good word that we needed to hear. Well, a couple of Sundays ago, you might remember that we considered the, the concept of that term covenant. We talked about how God enters into a covenantal relationship with his people. 
And that the new covenant of Jesus supplants, it replaces the old covenant that was made with Moses. And then last Sunday, we looked at what the main problem, though, is of being in covenant with God. God is holy. We are not. And so something must be done to solve this dilemma. Well, our passage this morning will present the solution. What has been done uh, to, to, to heal of that problem? So look with me in our text. I'm going to be reading, verse, first of all, verses uh, 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Have you been following uh, with me? For the you know through the chapters of Hebrews, you you'll see how you know already how our author has set up uh, the the everything that he's presented here. He's already talked about Jesus is our high priest. It is Jesus who mediates between us and God. At his ascension, he entered up into heaven with his incarnate body. He entered into the heavenly tabernacle all the way into the most holy place, the throne room of God, and there he presented the sacrifice of his own blood that has secured our eternal redemption. And he remains there. He continues to intercede on our behalf as our representative. And the old covenant sacrifices, all those rituals, They serve to depict what Jesus has done. Just as there were sacrifices for the sins of the people, so Christ has made of himself a sacrifice for his people. Now typically, what I will now do is take us kind of verse by verse through the passage. I'm going to do it a little bit different this morning. We're going to look at three terms, and then we're going to see how they are addressed by our text. And our words are atonement, redemption, and purification. Next Sunday, I'll present a fourth important term, substitution. So let's look first of all here at atonement. Now that term is not actually used in the text, but it is the subject of the text. Reference have been made earlier in this chapter, chapter 9, about the, the high priest entering the most holy place to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. He would do that once a year. Well, that's in reference to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Now, atonement is defined in this way. It is making reparation for an offense or for an injury. 
And so in relation to God, atonement is about making reparation for the offenses of our sins. You might recall, what is man's problem? God is holy. Man is unholy. Our sinful state is an offense against the holy God. And so that is what the tabernacle and the temple is illustrating. That is what all the sacrificial, the cleansing rituals depict. God is holy. And as such, he cannot endure the presence of unholy, sinful man. And for that matter, we cannot endure his holiness. And so these Old Testament objects and inactions, they depict God's holiness to problem, but they also depict how atonement is achieved. They demonstrate that somehow it involves the shedding and the application of blood. Indeed, you'll note here, ten times the word blood appears in our text. And so our next two terms are going to explain the role that blood plays. And they'll present two different concepts on how the blood serves to atone for our sins. So look with me, first of all, on the word redemption. Verse 12 says this, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then look with me in verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So look back there at verse 12. It explicitly links the Day of Atonement with what, with what Christ accomplished, first of all, on the cross, and then he completed it when he ascended into heaven, and where he ascended up there in his, in his resurrected body. And remember, he goes into the most holy place of the heavenly temple, the throne room of God. So just as the earthly high priest would make a sacrifice, then he would take the blood into the most holy place to make atonement. So Christ has done. But with one significant difference. His work was sufficient once and for all for eternal redemption. It does not need to be made again and again. And why is his offering more effectual? Because he offers his own blood. So even... So we have here, in each case, they are, they are signifying the same type of function. That is to secure redemption. Well then, what is redemption? Well, it simply means this, to buy back. If you take an item to a pawn shop, you'll receive cash for it. You then go back with that cash and a little bit extra more, then you will get your item back you will have redeemed it. We have an example of this in the Old Testament with the prophet Hosea. He had a wife named Gomer. She left him. She ended up as a slave. Hosea went after her. He paid the owner a ransom price. 
And by that, he was able to redeem her. In verse 15, look with me at that, because it helps us understand more of how it applies specifically to us. It tells us that Christ's death redeems them from what? From the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, it's referring here to the the covenant of Moses. And the point here, again, is that the law of Moses served to reveal the guilt of the people. That's the whole reason for that extensive sacrificial system. Somehow we're to understand that the deaths of those countless animals in some way kind of atoned for sins. But Christ's death, what we're being told here, his bloodshed actually did secure an eternal redemption. He paid for the death of our sins. Our sins racked up debt after debt, securing for us an eternal slavery. And like Gomer, we needed a redeemer kinsman who would buy us back, who would redeem us. Well, Jesus made that payment with his blood. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You were ransomed, wrote Peter, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so atonement, making reparation for our offenses, involves redemption. Buying us back out of slavery to sin so that we now belong to God. Now our next term adds another layer to atonement, and that is purification. Verse 13 turns our attention to this role of the blood. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now I want you to note two phrases here. There is in verse 13 that sanctify for the purification of the flesh. And then in verse 14, purify our conscience from dead works. If you go down to verse 22, you'll see another phrase. Almost everything is purified with blood. And so to purify, to understand what that means, is to cleanse. We read in the Bible of the cleansing of lepers. It's the same word. And so in spiritual terms, it means being made holy. And that's why you have that phrase, that sanctify for purification. So it's not enough, in other words, simply to buy back sinners. Something must be done with the defilement that was caused by sin. If you rescue a drowning person from a cesspool. What's the next thing that needs to be done? You need to clean him up. And so it is here. The goal is not merely to to be saved out of slavery, but to bring us into God's house 
as his cleansed children. And blood serves that purpose. It not only buys back, it purifies those that it redeems. Now, how does it do this? Well, look with me in verses 18 to 21. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every covenant of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Now, our author, what he's thinking of here is what took place in Exodus 24 when Moses goes through this rite. He has read the book of the, of the covenant, and then he has made a sacrifice. He has sprinkled uh, the book, sprinkled the people, And what that sprinkling does is it has a consecrating effect on whatever that blood is placed upon. In a sense, what it does is it marks them. It sets them apart as holy, as belonging to God. That, That book of the covenant, it's the record of the covenant made between God and his people. And so that ceremony, taking that hyssop branch, sprinkling blood on the book and on the people. It's binding the people to a sacred service to the Lord. Now, likewise, sprinkling the blood on the tabernacle and on the vessels that are inside the tabernacle, it consecrates them for holy service. It's not just any blood. It is the blood of the unblemished sacrifice that had already been offered for the redemption of the people. The blood that redeems is the blood that purifies. So again, now let's go back to to Peter here. He addresses, he opens up his letter this way, addressing his readers. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. So again, Christ's blood ransoms. uh, Christ's blood also purifies. Now Peter might very well be thinking of the same passage in Exodus that our author was. Or he may have had in mind another passage. It's from Ezekiel. Chapter 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Now, Ezekiel is speaking here of of water, but it's the same concept. Indeed, it's drawing from that understanding of Moses sprinkling blood. And by the way, Does our practice of sprinkling in baptism, does it begin to make a little bit more sense what we're symbolizing here? It is the cleansing uh, that is taking place, the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, under atonement, we have redemption, whereby Christ ransoms us from slavery to sin. He 
He buys us back. He redeems us with His blood. Also under atonement, Christ purifies us. He cleanses us. He he consecrates us so that we are now set apart for service to God. We're now accepted by Him. Now, our author adds actually one more thought to this whole equation. It's in verses 16 to 17. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now, it seems like he's going kind of completely off topic here, but no doubt what's happening is there's a term that's used twice in verse 15 that, that stimulates his thinking here. It's that term covenant. It speaks of Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Then it closes about the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Well, here's how it literally reads in the Greek. For where a covenant is involved. That Greek word for will here in verse uh, 16, is the same term for covenant. And he's thinking, well, that reminds me, speaking of covenant, we talk about covenant as a will, as a testimony, what must take place for that to go into effect? Well, there must be a, de- there must be a death. And he seems to go off track. But the result is that it clarifies what the shedding of blood entails. It is death. Now think about that movie, the, The Pirates of the Caribbean, and there has to be a shedding of blood. Well, it turns out all you got to do is just prick the finger and get some blood. Well, that's not what's happening here. Death must take place. Blood is not drawn from a living animal. The animal is slain. And we're going to look further into what all that entails next week. So hold that thought right then. But our our author now sums up his argument in verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So buying a sinner back means that the sinner is obtaining forgiveness of sins. His debt is removed. That is what redemption uh, means. It also, though, to be cleansed, to be sanctified, to be consecrated, one is that must be purified by blood. So blood redeems, blood purifies. Specifically speaking, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that redeems and purifies. And again and again, the New Testament points to this fact. It evidently is a very important concept in the New Testament writings. I'm going to read you some samples of it. First of all, from Romans 3, 24 to 25. Are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Ephesians 1 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Ephesians 2 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. Or Colossians 1.20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And finally, the verse that I opened up with in the call to worship, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So truly, as far as the New Testament is concerned, there must be wonder-working powers in the blood of the Lamb. And so I want us to think for a moment about the significance of the blood. You know, in most of these passages, I could have substituted the word blood with the word death. And yet, it is blood that is being used. You get the impression that if Jesus had been killed by hanging, the sacrifice would not have had the same effect. Blood must be shed. It seems so primitive, doesn't it? I mean, how does the spilling out of blood from flesh bring about spiritual salvation? It definitely seems unhygienic. I mean, has anyone ever here used blood to remove a stain uh, in your carpet or in the kitchen? You know, I think of the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. What does it tell us? It it flows from Emmanuel's veins and sinners to, to lose their guilty stains. Do what? They, they plunge beneath it. Now, I have to admit, I, I love the hymn. That is one line that has just never been appealing to me. But having said that, when you think about it, when you think about blood, it will take us deeper into understanding and appreciating our salvation. So, for example, for one thing, it depicts a real death. A slain Savior. It's not a Savior kind of quietly fell asleep. Isaiah 52 tells us that his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. Real flesh, shed blood, was killed. The Gospel story is not a parable. It is an historical account of a man executed on a cross. And whatever you know, whatever one thinks of the Mel Gibson movie, the the Passion of the Christ, it does convey the very real physical suffering and death, the bloody death of Jesus. You know, he is not Socrates drinking hemlock. And having a conversation with his, his disciples as he slowly and peacefully dies. Our Savior took on real flesh. God the Son who is spirit took on human flesh and in that flesh he offered himself, he offered his blood as a sacrifice to redeem us from our sins. Every lamb Every goat, every bull whose throat was slit and whose blood was poured out foreshadowed the piercing of our Savior's body. His body whose blood would drain out from the scourge, from the thorns, from the nails, from that spear. 
It speaks to the reality of what Jesus has done. His blood shed also infers that salvation is, is more than just a spiritual salvation. You know, we asked before, how is physical death with the shed blood related to, well, to saving one's spirit? Well, the truth is that more than spirit was saved. Our bodies, too, were saved. We as Christians, we long not for the day that we're going to rid ourselves of our bodies. No, we're looking to the day that our bodies will be resurrected, will be restored, will be even glorified. And just as the bloody body of Jesus rose again, ascended into heaven where it is glorified. Our bodies that shed blood, that the pump blood through our veins will someday die, but will also someday, these bodies will be raised to glory. And the blood sprinkle also infers something else I want us to think about. The necessity of, of touch. Now, I think it's significant that the bloody of the sacrificer, he's the one bringing the, the, the sacrifice, that blood had to be placed, sprinkled, it had to touch him for him to be made clean. The, the objects, the tabernacle itself, had to be touched, sprinkled with blood to be made clean. Now again, we don't use blood to cleanse anything. We don't even use it to symbolize cleansing. What do we use? We have two sacraments. We have baptism that uses water. We have the Lord's Supper that uses wine or the juice. Think about why did Jesus give us these things? He gave us symbols that touch us. There's the baptism and the water touches us. There is the the wine or the juice that enters into us. They symbolize the touch of Jesus' blood. And what they end up signifying is that communion, a real communion that we have with our Savior, Jesus Christ. He touches us. Jesus' death is not just something that just kind of happened out there and we heard about a contract being signed. No, his blood was shed and somehow that blood touches us. And then finally, the blood signifies the sealing of salvation. His death sealed our salvation. And this is something I think we can, we can get our minds around, we can grasp. We speak of our American liberty being sealed by blood. That is, by those who fought, who shed their blood, who gave their lives in the American Revolution. There are those who take blood oaths, in which they draw blood from their flesh to seal the oath that they have made. Well, the blood of Jesus seals the salvation promise that was made and that was won for us. Do you ever question God's love, Christ's love for you? Well, behold the blood of your Savior. Do you ever question the security of your salvation? Behold the blood that seals that salvation. Do you ever question whether you really belong to Him? Well, look to His blood. 
and signified in your baptism that He has cleansed you, that He has marked you as His. That blood that He has taken before the very throne of God has sealed your salvation. We give you praise, our God, for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for our redemption that purifies us from our sins, that has won our atonement. We give you praise for this blood that he has brought even before you is our high priest. And give you praise for that eternal, secure salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to sing together. Two verses of Arise, My Soul, Arise. may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.